Imagine it's another day in paradise. There's a beautiful Douglas fir forest scraping the sky. The animals are calling out to one another. You take in a lung full of sunshine and fresh rainforest air. You're in what appears to be the Garden of Eden okay. in the subtropical okay. rainforest tea room studio. Okay. <laughs> These days podcast episode thirteen, the last episode of this season. Thank goodness, because we can't stop laughing. Yeah, it's gonna be a hard one. This uh, one. I hope you've enjoyed this season so far. Uh, just trying to do theology for the people. Yeah, totally. totally. Rock on, man. Yeah, totally. Theology for the people, and uh, just right. study the resilient way of Jesus, uh, the way of hope, the way of receiving help in our times of need. And uh, yeah, we're just excited to finish things up. For this season today. Hey, you know that cold open, Ben? Yeah, what about that cold open? Did you open? notice my shirt? Oh, nice. I'm virtue signaling where we are. Nice. Uh, I'm virtue signaling <laughs> nice. uh, the uh, camp that is presently known as the Garden of Eden. So it fits yeah, do in you, with the car- do you, yeah. you know they can't see us on a podcast, though, right? Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I was thinking about virtue signaling. You know, Christians get upset about it, you know, sometimes. I mean, some Christians... But uh, the reality is Christians have been virtue signaling for a long time. I mean, back when I was in high school and early college, that's when the Christian T-shirt thing started. And like they had, they had this commercial for, um, uh, what is it, Things Go Better with Coke. And so they had these T-shirts that had Coca-Cola signed with Jesus instead of Coke written in the nice. logo. Yeah, nice. Over, yeah. yeah. Would you like to get yourself one of those? Because I could find a vintage shirt for you if you want. I mean, actually, I could. I could probably rock that. Yeah, yeah, you could. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, but um, got an announcement here today. This is a big deal because uh, this is our thirteenth pod- podcast, and. Um, this is the end of season one, uh, but we're already working on season two, uh, pretty much, and uh, we are going. <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> the network has not canceled season two. It is <laughs> it is uh, contracted us for another uh, season, and uh, so we're going to take one week off and uh, kind of reboot here and reset some things and uh, get our uh, day jobs going. And then uh, we're going to start again uh, around the beginning of July. So, uh, but this is going to be a little extra pod, a little extra length in terms of the, our normal podcast. So maybe that can sort of be split up for you in a way that kind of carries. You Basically, the next if week. you get bored in twenty minutes, feel free to hit pause and come back to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Time. yeah, there you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So today, what's our big idea today? Today, we're actually just talking about uh, it's like listener's choice where we invited people to send in questions and comments. And we're just going to respond to some things that people had questions about. Um, and so we're going to we're going to jump right into that today. First of all, we want to say that um, we've heard a lot of amazing feedback, comments, emails, questions, and comments about what's been happening in people's lives as they dig into the resilient way of Jesus during these days. And, uh, you know, we all we had a lot of good questions, 
and uh, they are big questions. Uh, th- these questions are something we could even do a whole season on. So uh, I I just want to say that we're going to do big bird's eye view answers today, mm-hmm. right? Not, yeah, that's right. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty. We're just going to do general answers. Uh, we're try not, to point in the direction of where to find more, but yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll give people some good ideas of where to keep on digging through that. Uh, so yeah, we're not we're not going to try to be thorough. We're just going to try uh, to answer things as much and as directly as we can. Leave the rest to Jesus to sort out and to help you keep learning along. Um, and really, if, if one person only answered... Uh, you know, our call for questions, we could have spent the whole time on that one question, but we could we're trying to be fair. There's, but we got this bu- equal opportunity we got podcast. buckets and, yep. and, and truckloads full of questions. Yeah. <laughs> no, we yeah. did get it. We, we did get several and they yeah, were very yeah, helpful. Yeah. Uh, so this, we'll try to do this at the end of every season, right? I think so. Yeah. We'll see how this goes and find out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So without further ado, we're going to jump into our first question. We got an, an awesome uh, uh, email from uh, one of our, one of the people listening uh, who had some really interesting questions specifically around spiritual warfare and the authority that we have through the spirit of God as Christians and how that interacts when we pray, how that actually interacts with the world. Some questions about uh, uh, spiritual beings and how uh, how the uh, spiritual realm plays out as we as believers pray in the name that we believe is above all names, the name of Jesus. That's, I think, a really good question. And we actually started to talk about that last week, right? Mm-hmm. In Acts uh, chapter 4 last week, we started talking about uh, praying for boldness and what the believers did when uh, when Peter was told to stop talking. Peter and John were told to stop talking and they were harassed. Yeah, somebody uh, almost went off on a, like a Spurgeon-like sermon on that one last Yeah, time. someone, someone yeah. almost just like kept mm-hmm. talking. For a really long, long yes. time, yes. no. But we had some good, uh, some some good conversations about that last week, um, and uh, we've we've been really aware uh, in this time uh, that one of the main things we can pray for is for boldness, to be bold for for God and His kingdom, to be moving forward without fear, um, but also for humility. And I think uh, those two things uh, interact really interestingly because. On the one hand, we are not meant to be people who are afraid, right? We have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, as Paul tells us, living within us. And through his name, we have power, right? And that's a huge thing right now, right? Yeah. It seems like everybody's afraid. Yeah. yeah. And so we're not meant to be afraid. You know, Jesus says that in his name there is power as we use his name. But we also have to have the humility to recognize it's not our, it's not our power. It's not mm-hmm. our authority. It is his authority. And uh, this war against evil spiritual forces. Well, first of all, the Bible is pretty clear. There are evil spiritual forces. And yeah. I, I don't know we're 21st century American folks. Mm-hmm. A lot of us went to college and you might be sitting there thinking, you know, I can get on board with Jesus. I can get on board with the, his teachings and loving people. And I, I, but the, but the devil, but mm-hmm. demons, come on, that's a little bit. And that, that's fine. Uh, we, we do sort of have a a uh, natural bent to think that way in our uh, in our postmodern world uh, these days, and and with the the uh, things that we're taught and the things we kind of grow up hearing about. Uh, just I would ask you if that's what you're thinking to recognize. Just be aware of the fact. Um, and this isn't you know this isn't me arguing with with you, but I would just ask you to be aware of the fact that that puts you in the vast vast minority of human beings who have ever lived in human history ever. Yeah, and you know, I mean, different parts of the world too, right? Different parts we, we, of the we world. We may think yeah. we're more enlightened than everybody. But when I go to Kenya, man, that's uh, 
nobody doubts it because they see it. Yeah, Christian, non-Christian, all different kinds of cultures, all throughout human history, societies that are as advanced as ours, uh, as far as their philosophy and their politics goes, uh, all kinds of cultures uh, throughout human history, the vast majority of people uh, can can understand and can look at the world and say, there are spiritual forces at work, and some of those spiritual forces, some of those spiritual uh, entities are uh, really bent towards evil. And so uh, we recognize that that is a reality happening um, in, in the world, happening behind the scenes. The scriptures talk about the devil or the Satan. And, uh, and what we want to recognize as Christians is that the war against these evil spiritual forces is ultimately God's war. It's not ours. God has been at war with the with evil since really it seems like if you read the Bible, you know, it's not super clear in the scriptures. It's not totally laid out, which uh, which tells me that God doesn't want us to worry about it too much. Yeah, uh, but right. but uh, in the scriptures, uh, it's pretty clear that God has been fighting a war with evil since before humanity, since before the creation of the world. And so in that vein, I think it's really important to recognize that the authority in, by which we engage all the turmoil in the world isn't our authority. It's his authority. Mm-hmm. He gave his apostles authority. He gave his church authority over spiritual and physical realities. That's that's true. That's something Jesus says. He says, you know, when, when the spirit comes to you, when the helper comes to you, you'll be able to do all the things that I did. And even more than this, you'll be able to do. So Jesus does give his apostles and his followers uh, the, the ability to interact in the world with spiritual authority. But it's important to remember where that authority comes from. And because of the authority that Jesus gives gives us, because he ultimately is the king of the universe, and because uh, we live by him and by his name, uh, we recognize that we have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to shrink back. The book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 tells us that uh, God did not, that the Spirit, and that's kind of, in most translations, that's a capital S Spirit. It's talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit that was put into us was not a spirit of timidity or of fear, but one of boldness and one of power. And that's something actually really powerful just to take hold of when you look at the world and how chaotic it can be and how it seems like so many things are disintegrating on a big scale and also on a micro scale. A lot of people's well uh, emotional well-being or their family situation is just disintegrating. When we look at that, it's easy, easy, easy to start to be timid, to be afraid, to shrink back, to kind of go turtle style and, and hide inside our shell. Mm. <clears throat> But the scriptures teach us that through the spirit God has put into our hearts, we have the opportunity to be bold and to have power rather than fearful and timid. So the authority of Jesus and the spirit of God is at work in in this world because it's all his. That's what the kingdom of God is really about. When Jesus shows up on the scene in the book of Mark, in all the gospels, but especially the book of Mark, he just begins by saying, hey, guess what? The kingdom of God, it's here if you think about kingdom, it's an authority word, right? It's a word about the, a realm that's under the control of someone, a king, right? Mm-hmm. There's an authority over this. And what Jesus is trying to say is the kingdom where God is the ultimate authority, where God rules and reigns, is here. The king has come. And I think that's super important for us as Christians because in many cases, the things that are a part of the kingdom, people who don't love Jesus, don't serve Jesus, who don't identify as Christians— 
they uh, they can agree with those things, right? Many things that are part of the kingdom are awesome, like reconciliation, like peace, like justice, like like uh, healing. These things are part of the kingdom. They're, these are things that come through God's kingdom. But when we look at those things, we think, I want that thing, but I don't want the authority of Jesus to mess with my life. Yeah, it says in the New Testament that it's actually a scandal, right? Like, And today we can see that even more than ever because it's a scandal to say that somebody might be wrong right? Know, or that you've hurt their feelings by saying they might be wrong. And <clears throat> the reality of that is... Uh, the, the wondrous thing about the scripture, because I mean, when you look at the gospels, especially Jesus is being challenged again and again on his authority by the uh, Sanhedrin and the religious leaders and the elites of his culture, and uh, until it reaches a climax where he, you know, through the cross and the resurrection, proves his authority and his kingship in the kingdom. But uh, the good news of that is. None of that challenge and pushback we feel for what we believe is new. He he faced it first, so and none uh, of it yeah. none of it can uh, diminish or 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 cause the gospel or the kingdom to shrink back. Yeah. I love where Jesus says the mm-hmm. kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing upon the earth. Ah, yeah. It it is moving. It will move. It will come to fruition ultimately. And when I think about uh, the forces of evil, it actually makes me think maybe they're most maybe maybe the maybe. Uh, the most insidious, uh, subtle lie or twisting of the truth, because right, the the, the forces of evil, uh, the enemy can't can't you know create something new. All he can do is is twist what God is doing and what God says, right? And so when I when I think about what what is it, what's the lie that we're believing, or what's the thing that we're uh, that 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 the forces of evil are really trying to get us to hold hold on to, and it so often has a grain of truth in it, right? Which is we want justice, we want truth, we want peace, we want hope, we want healing, but what the I think what the kingdom of darkness is trying to do is get us to swallow the ideals of God's kingdom while totally. Uh, annex or totally nixing God, God as King from our lives. Yeah. So he's so he's trying to get us to uh, to take the kingdom of God into our own hands. It's the opposite of humility, right? Right. We, we can pull it off. Which yeah. then it it's very quickly becomes the kingdom of darkness as soon as we try to take the authority of the kingdom of God into our own hands. Uh, the thing that makes it the kingdom of God is that Jesus is our king. That's the the first believers in Jesus, the earliest original followers of Jesus. That was their primary statement of faith was Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus is the authority over the world and over my life. And that's the beginning place of all justice, hope, peace, possibility. Uh, it's not I want those things and I can make those things happen. It's let me yield to the king and allow him to bring his kingdom. And I think that's kind of the primary context in which we think about the war against evil spiritual forces or spiritual warfare, right, is mm-hmm. we uh, is letting the king bring his kingdom. So there's a lot of scriptures that talk about how to pray towards that, how to seek the kingdom in our prayer life and in our spiritual life. One of the most famous ones is 2 Corinthians 10, 5, where Paul says, that he entreats us by meekness and gentleness, the, the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against someone who suspects us of walking away or walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So he's saying the way you see people fighting and waging war in the world, that's not what we're doing. Then he says, for the weapons of warfare, our weapons of warfare, are not of the flesh, but have divine power 
to destroy strongholds. So he's saying it's not our power, it's divine power, it's God's power. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God. So he's saying our spirit, our warfare is not like the world's warfare, but we have this divine power to sort of uh, cut through the arguments and the, and the things that uh, pit themselves against the knowledge of God. And he says that we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And so he's reminding us that uh, our war is really not a war where we're against people. Our war is a war in which we're against the philosophies of the kingdom of darkness, and that we have the power to move against those as we pray in the Spirit and as we uh, move forward with His power and sort of cut through all of the noise and all of the shouting and all of the anger and rage and contempt and confusion and fear and start to speak the truth of, of Jesus. Yeah, and I, you know, you look at that and you see what's going on today. And you can see a real contrast between the way the church uh, is called and uh, seeks to live out, uh, for better or for worse, uh, the way of Jesus, the resilient way of Jesus, in terms of this spiritual warfare, in terms of taking thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ, uh, rather than sort of the outrage and the anxiety and the sense of threat that goes with the way the world does it. And uh, there's a real contrast playing out before our eyes in many ways on that. Saying they're foregoing for the same goals, but uh, I think that's a a good illustration for us to be reminded of, that we are about people who are seeking to live not on our own authority, but on Jesus' authority, and uh, taking our thoughts captive, because that's where the battle is. In fact, uh, there's another uh, spiritual warfare uh, passage that people most often quote, and that's in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, where it talks about the armor of God. And and Paul, for his purposes there, has a image of a Roman soldier there, a soldier who's trained to defend a four-foot square piece of ground against a whole army kind of thing. And um, I won't read it all, but I'll move down to verse 17, where he talks about the only offensive tool that is in the uh, the the tool among the tools of the these Roman soldiers, and that is uh, the sword. And and he's using that too of um, uh, as our only offensive tool. And the sword is the word of God. So you know, Scripture is a big deal. It's really important in terms of uh, battling uh, the enemy because the enemy, Satan, not people, as Paul says, flesh and blood, but Satan uh, can't handle the Word of God. So we need to know it and speak it back at him. Uh, but also, verse 18, this is very interesting, because this fits right in with the person with our uh, listener who asked this question, a very good question. Listen to this. Praying at all times in the Spirit, capital S, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me. He's Paul's talking about himself. So he says, okay, prayer does have that effect of bringing boldness, empowerment. But look what he prays for. He says, use those prayers to pray for me, because he's in prison at this point. Also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, <clears throat> that I may declare in it boldly as I ought to speak. So, 
even Paul sees that for himself, that that is the way of Jesus. That is how, that is where we connect our prayers and uh, this, the Holy Spirit in our lives, connect with us and with the world that we see around us with prayer. That's how we do it. It's very much like those people did in Acts chapter 4. But that's, that's the um, process, and we need to kind of lean into that. We need to rest in it when we can, and we need to do the work of prayer because it is work. Um, and it, it, it can be a challenge for us, but that's really where it all is. And God does wondrous things when that happens. And at this cultural moment, I don't think there's anything else uh, that we could possibly uh, think is better or anything uh, like that, that that could possibly help turn the tide in these days. Yeah, that makes me think, uh, where, what does spiritual warfare look like in my own life? Or in your life, that makes me think about that. That Ephesians passage passage makes me think. You know, it's really in my everyday life. You know, I am God's at war against evil, and Jesus is calling me to do good. We're going to see that in just a little bit here. But uh, my spiritual warfare against the powers of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of evil, is uh, is waged in my everyday life as I pray and am empowered by the Spirit when I go to work, when I talk to my friends and family, when I engage in things online with social media or whatever, in the way that I go about my uh, spiritual practices, in the way I engage with my church family, and the things I choose to give my time to. This is all how I do spiritual warfare, by praying for that boldness and empowerment of the Spirit and then living my life in that power. I think that's uh you know it's not necessarily in doing special things or certain certain actions or certain uh, conferences that are going to help me with spiritual warfare. It's in the everyday uh, behavior of my life where I have the opportunity to bring the kingdom or to uh, serve the kingdom of God. Um, do you want to mention this book? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, in a very real sense, though, what you're saying and what we're, I'm saying is that uh, the spiritual warfare is real. It's here. It's a real thing. It's often misused in terms of the understanding of it, but it's still a real thing nonetheless. Uh, I did prayer seminars for 14 years around the country, and I can say we don't have time to go into uh, details or illustrations, but I can tell you that prayer was effective and was a key part of dealing with spiritual warfare. There's a new book out, a uh, new book alert right here. Uh, it's called <laughs> Demons, and it's by Dr. Michael Heiser. He's a, a Hebrew and a new, uh, Old Testament scholar, uh, but he also uh, is uh, actually uh, studies in the entire scriptures and has come out with several uh, key books in terms of Bible study. And he's got this book now, just came out 2020 on demons. Uh, in fact, it's red and orange. Look at that. It, it burns your tablecloth, Ben. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, just, that shouldn't make light of that. Okay, so Yikes. anyway, give us, uh, give us a little quote, because he talks about these very things we've been talking about yeah. uh, when it comes to these passages. <laughs> he says, Jesus never commanded his followers to confront spiritual entities. Instead, he gave the Great Commission. A spiritual entity might be driven away, but that doesn't necessarily result in a new soul entering the kingdom of God. This, le- this latter goal is the reason Jesus gave his life and rose from the dead. The work of Christ is not about power encounters with demons. It is much more comprehensive and enduring than that. The goal was to bring Eden, the Garden of Eden, full circle, fulfilling God's desire to have a human family with, the, uh, with him forever. See, Ben, that wasn't just a dad joke. 
the Garden of Eden. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Should I keep reading? <laughs> yes, you should. This very serious I theological not, I, text. <laughs> I will not interrupt again with a joke. All right. The goal the goal was to bring Eden full circle, fulfilling God's desire to have a human family with him forever. Punishing fallen spirit spirits does not accomplish God's original Edenic goal. Only the Great Commission accomplishes the ends to which God has been working, as well as defeat the pun- defeat and punish, uh, as well as the defeat and punishment of rebellious evil spirits. The Great Commission. This is a super important phrase. Yeah, and, and the Great Commission being the Great Commission being when go into all the world, make disciples. Right, Matthew twenty-eight. Yep. Jesus' last command to his disciples, yep. and and this sentence is super important. Michael Heiser says the Great Commission is thus a comprehensive plan for spiritual warfare. That's the primary way we engage in the battle against the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, thank you, uh, listener, for that uh, that question. Yeah, obviously it got us going for a while. <laughs> it's so hard to get us to say anything, really. I know, we're usually so lost for words yeah, around yeah, here. Yeah, really. Um, <clears throat> now let's go on to question two, and it's this. Are there scriptures that speak to today's quote-unquote environmental tragedies that we could use to start conversations with friends. And uh, what this comes from is a couple uh, that have been listening. As thank you, all of you, for listening, and especially this couple. Good question. They've been reading the book of Revelation. And, um, uh, you know, looking actually for scriptures that relate to the uh, uh, current uh, situations. And the, the way they say it is today's environment tragedies. Now, um, that's a good question and a good purpose uh, in uh, that you have in wanting to converse with friends with what Scripture says, and you know maybe uh, you know be able to say, "Hey, this is what it actually says." Because I'm, I'm telling you, as a pastor, I know exactly what I'm saying here. There are a lot of people today that think they know all about the Bible and everything it says and all this horrible stuff and so forth. And then you ask them about, "Well, where is that?" And they, it's not in there. Uh, so, but again, a couple of preliminaries. Um, we need to say first off, in case we're misinterpreting the question, because we don't want to uh, miss anything if we, uh, you know, like take totally take it in an opposite <laughs> direction. Uh, uh, but if you're using the word environment in terms of, you know, uh, we're using this this word environment in terms of the current crisis in this cultural moment. So we're assuming that that's the question. But Scripture does give us uh, guidance and speak to human beings in terms of taking care of the earth and the environmental kinds of things. And please don't understand us as, uh, you know, linking up with everything that the environmental uh, movement is about. I mean, there's a lot going on today that's linked up with, um, you know, the Gaia movement and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But Scripture's clear in Genesis 2 and 3 uh, that we are to take care of the earth. So we're just, we're going to say that and leave it there and uh, say that, you know, it's harder nowadays since the sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3 to take care of the earth. But uh, Ben, you had a book too that was helpful that anybody that wants to follow sort of the scripture and environmental uh, work. So yeah, John Stott, it's the last book he wrote before he passed away. Amazing British thinker of the 20th century. uh, And he wrote a book called uh, The Radical Disciple. The subtitle is Some Neglected Aspects of Our Calling. And he had, he has a really helpful chapter about taking care of creation and what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And I have found that to be the most helpful thing I've read uh, on, uh, taking care of the earth, and uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in how we relate to creation. Yeah, Stott was so awesome. I'm going to pick that up. That sounds great. 
it's it's but in terms of the the environment that we're in right now this cultural moment when we've got crises overlapped on crises uh none of which i think are um are unprecedented but i've been searching my brain honestly for these crises in terms of what's going on in the culture in terms of uh, justice and uh, in terms of the virus, I, I'm searching my brain for when some, uh, when two crises of such magnitude have been overlaid on one another, and I, I'm having a hard time finding a time like that. But um, I guess you could go back to the early church when they were facing not only persecution but plagues. I mean, that, that would fit. Uh, but um, it may seem like an unbiblical and even controversial statement. But here's here's what I'm going to say about the Book of Revelation, for example, in a, as far as its prophetic help in this moment in trying to uh, uh, deal with this specific time. And I, I don't think this is exactly what the listener was asking, uh, but we're going to kind of go there so we're sort of are on the same page. It's because there is so much going on in the book of Revelation, including, you know, what's going on in the throne room of God just since Jesus um, ascended there. Uh, and in the broad sweep of history, of course, there is, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh Lots that relates to the end of days, and uh, you know, and that we can be certain uh, that we are getting closer to the end of time, end of days as we know it, and the end technically is what the scripture calls the end of days when the Lord returns. So, have a nice day, but yeah, yeah, uh, not to be silly again, but let me ask you, go ahead, yeah, do you mean we can be certain that we're getting closer because? The Bible tells us that each day is one day nearer to the return of Jesus. Yes, because the Apostle Paul thought it was going to be the next day. Right. You, and here's the deal. Any day since, and I know this is this is a real uh, downer for people who just get into this stuff, and it's not meant to be at all. But the end times actually started when Jesus ascended into heaven, according to Scripture. Mm. Because the early Christians thought they were in the end of days. I mean, think about this. If you're being persecuted, if you're being martyred, if you're being marginalized, if you're being shoved out of society, if you're being mocked on a daily basis because you're a Christian and what of what you believe, you would be pretty sure that it was the end of times and Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And so they had to do some real just adjustment when he didn't. So um, all I'm saying is, is that all of this time, and, and when you think about it in terms of eternity or even the the the... Um, the time that the earth has been here and that, that people have been inhabiting this earth, the 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven, that's not that, that's not a huge uh, amount of that. So um, anyway, that, that making sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, I'll, I'll go just ahead. jump in and say a couple things I remember from a seminary class on the book of Revelation. Two things that really stuck with me. One is that uh, it's not primarily a predictive text, right? The John of Patmos, uh, that was, you know, there's some predictive stuff in there, but that wasn't his primary purpose, was to give us a, a predictive sort of co- decoder disc. Yeah. Uh, but there is some stuff in there we can look for and be watching for, absolutely. The other thing that really stuck with me was the book of Revelation is meant to uh, stir our hearts up 
in eager anticipation of meeting the Lord face to face when yeah. he returns to bring his kingdom. And so often it's used in such a way to where we spend more time focusing on what the kingdom of darkness is doing and what evil is happening and who's the Antichrist, what's the Antichrist, all this kind of stuff. What's the mark of the beast mean? Should we be scared? Should we be nervous? When really it's primary purpose as a, as a scripture is to uh, stir up our hearts in longing for, for the day of the Lord, for when he comes and uh, in anticipation of meeting him face to face. Yeah, that's why one of my favorite texts, I've already referenced it in one of our podcasts, can't remember which one, is uh, Revelation 21.5, when Jesus is sitting on the throne, he's called the Lamb of God, sitting on the throne in God's throne room, and he says, look, I'm making everything new, or behold, I'm making everything new. And what's cool about that is, is there's no sense at all that that's just got to wait till the end of time. John is seeing that in real time in his vision. He doesn't say, I have made. Jesus will say one day, I have made. He's saying currently, I I am. I am. It's a present tense. Mm. So it's encouraging. So, but the other thing I want to say, just in terms of, you know, being um, aware of where we're going here, because again, this is such an important question in terms of scripture that relates to our time. the other thing we have to be careful with, though, is uh, we are terrible interpreters of our own situations and our own life moments and what they could possibly mean, let alone interpreting prophecy of Scripture uh, through a cultural lens. It's as if we try to take, you know, the the wonder of a, an infinite thing, the Word of God, prophecy, and squeeze it through this small cultural lens of our exact moment, and that. Now, I know that's not what this listener is doing, but that's uh, that's what sometimes happens on the extreme ends of prophetic stuff. Uh, let me give you an example. This isn't a biblical example. This is a C.S. Lewis example. Can you? you no you, way. Are you surprised? You're going to bring up C.S. Yeah. Lewis? Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's an it's an anti C.S. Lewis. Okay. So Uh-oh. yeah, here we go. Uh, but early in the coronavirus, there was this thing going around about this prophetic uh, things that C.S. Lewis said. A couple of lines that Lewis said that seemed to um, point directly to the coronavirus epidemic happening, that it would happen. And in fact, there I saw this picture of this card or this piece of paper that had writing on it uh, in pencil that said this these lines about how this 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 virus epidemic would come and so many people would die and so forth crazy stuff like that and everybody's going oh c.s lewis is the prophet because it was going around there were actually some evangelical christian publications online that were kind of faked out by this thing and uh because it looked real and i can tell you that i uh, go to see uh, C.S. Lewis's actually his own library in a place called the Wade Center in Wheaton College. I've actually seen his writing in pencil because he always wrote in pencil in his books, and that writing looked very familiar familiar to me. I, I've studied that writing because he's very hard to read because he, he wrote so he was such a terrible uh, penmanship. Okay, he's such a, ter- he's yeah. such a terrible writer. Yeah, so. <laughs> terrible writer. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I'm a great anyway. Uh, but he he. Uh, as it turned out, that uh, little prophetic note wasn't written by Lewis at all. And in fact, I started digging. I thought, I, I don't remember him saying that. Not that I know everything he wrote. But 
it turned out to be a fake, and, and there were a lot of uh, mea culpas in some of these publications I'm talking about. But what it came to, it was an unintentional fake because it was from a, a, a woman who was a blogger, a Christian blogger, who had said, C.S. Lewis says, or something, something, and then she says these lines, and somebody took it as from C.S. Lewis, and then it was somehow written out on this note and this card, and somehow, and, and it became, it, it went viral before uh, you know anybody could catch it. So all mm. I'm saying is, is that we're, we're really quick to believe certain things. But let's be quick to add this. That's not what the listener's asking. We really haven't gotten to their question yet. Ready? So let's go back to the question. Are there verses that speak to this moment and help us invite conversations in this moment? And the answer would that be would be, yes, there are. I want to turn you, for example, to an often overlooked passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And uh, Paul's, this is Paul's last letter. It's to his spiritual son, Timothy. It's a very emotional letter. It's a very nostalgic letter because at the end of it, he tells us he knows he's going to die and soon. If you've ever seen the, um, the movie, the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle of the Christ, which I, you know, I don't usually recommend those movies so much, but this is really good with Jim Caviezel and and uh, the guy that plays Paul, can't remember his name, but he actually becomes a Christian during the filming of this movie. But this would be in that time frame, just before he dies. And uh, let me, listen to these words about the last days. Here we go. Beginning of verse 1 of chapter 3. But understand this. So he wants us to understand some specific things. That in the last days, Paul uh, means the last days theologically. Uh, it, he means that all the time since Jesus ascended into heaven, like I said before. There will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. In other words, I think Paul's saying it's going to get tougher and tougher. Okay, For people will be lovers of self. Hey, then there it is. The autonomous yeah, self. The oh, autonomous yeah, self. Bingo. There we are. Comes back again. Yes. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. That kind of sounds familiar in these mm. days. Disobedient to their parents. Should we pause on that one? <laughs> I was no. never disobedient to my parents. No. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there's no age limit on there. I oh, understand. come on. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Hmm. In other words, no matter what you do, you, you can't satisfy people. Slanderous. People are slandering one another without control. Brutal. Brutality. Not loving good. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're wondering about not loving good, just check out the pop shows, the most popular shows on Netflix, for mm. example. I mean, because they're, uh, they, they celebrate evil in yeah. many ways. And uh, you really have to watch it. And I'm not saying I'm uh, pristine on that either, but it's just some of that stuff just is too much nowadays. It's getting worse. But anyway, back to verse four treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Um, and look at these last three, because these are the ones we want to really focus on. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What's that? Well, there's, uh, there's crises in human sexuality today. Having appearance of godliness, but denying its power. You know, God's being shoved out of the public square more and more. Yeah, there's, there's a new kind of morality that leaves God out of it, but yeah. it's, you know, putting myself on this moral high ground. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and feeling, you know, hey, I've got, uh, I'm on this moral high ground. That's exactly how to put it. 
For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Listen to me now when I say this. Capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. He's not making a blanket statement there about the feminine gender. Let's be clear. This was actually happening in Ephesus at the time that Timothy was there. So he's talking about, he's, in fact, in the next verses, he's going to talk about a couple of women who get, um, you know, sort of taken away into la-la land theology. So when he says weak yeah. women, he's not talking about women as opposed to men. He's right. talking about weak women as opposed to the strong women that are all around and staying right. faithful. Right. Yeah. He's not talking about anything about that. And it's pretty important because uh, it's important to take all of this letter in context. Um, anyway, I'll move on to verse 7. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge, the knowledge of the truth. Mm. I mean, talk about the spin mm-hmm. that we have going on today. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly where we are. So, Yeah, I was thinking, that last statement is really interesting. I was thinking about documentaries the other day, yeah. and we used to call documentary, we, what we used to call documentaries were like, uh, Ken Burns, just like, here are the facts and here's some yeah. pictures, you know what I mean? Now, like, what we call documentaries are, this is my opinion and interpretation of modern events. Yeah, yeah. Fact, it's speaking so of facts, I have a great quote I'm going to use on Sunday, Ben. Shall I use it? Sure, here? go ahead. It's Dorothy Sayers. Oh, what'd she say? She says, facts are like cows. The longer you stare them in the face, pretty soon they just get up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. Uh, another scripture I would say to answer this listener's question, another scripture about uh, to help help uh, have, invite people into conversations in this moment, um, Romans 12 verses 9 through 21 have some really amazing, clear, simple guidances for uh, how to live in a time like this, how to live when society seems to be crumbling, when there's rage and anger all around you, when people seem to be against what you believe and what you think. Um, and it says a lot of amazing things, but it lands on this sentence in verse 21. It just says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is, uh, I think that's a really powerful statement for us as believers, just to say, don't don't get into the things the world is getting into as far as the way that they are trying to, to get their way. Don't yeah. necessarily get into rage and outrage and and the the ugly rhetoric and the the uh, blame game and all. Instead, overcome evil with good. And the same is true for that first question on spiritual warfare: How do we fight the kingdom of evil? We do it by overcoming evil with good. But that whole Romans passage, chapter twelve, verses nine through twenty-one, is great. Just mm-hmm. clear, succinct advice on how can we live in a time that seems like it's gone crazy. Yeah, it's good. So we have uh, another question to jump into. Question three, uh, we, we paraphrased it by, say, by saying, how do I avoid losing my religion? Uh, but the question, <laughs> the question was oh, actually, yeah. what is the biggest threat to our growing, uh, to growing in our resilience in this season or in this time? Or to put it another way, what is, uh, what is the scenario where instead of becoming resilient, we might lose our faith in this climate? Uh, which is a really excellent question, and that's the whole point, really, of this podcast. Mm-hmm. We want to help people be resilient and help ourselves be resilient. We want uh, that resurrection power of Jesus that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3. He says, to know him and to know his, the power of his resurrection. We want that in our lives, especially in this kind of moment of crisis and uh, cultural implosion, you might say. Uh, so for me, I kind of generally, when I think about that question, I kind of 
take, take a spiritual formation bent. Like what I, I look at my life, what is it in my life that keeps me from becoming resilient? And what I do is I kind of look at the life of Jesus. You know, he's the most resilient being who ever lived, person who ever lived, so resilient that he died once and then rose from the grave. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I sort of overlay his my day-to-day life onto his day-to-day life. And a few things come to the surface when I do that. One is uh, a sense of time or hurry. Uh, I think Jesus is a really excellent example that even in the busyness and the chaos and the worries of the world that are coming crashing down on him, you always see him pausing to be present and to notice what his father is doing in the moment, and also to to pray, to commune. I think one of the biggest obstacles we face as far as becoming resilient followers of Jesus is we don't put in the time. We don't want Mm. to take the time. And I mean that as in uh, the actual hours and minutes, but I also mean that as in it's a long process as we follow Jesus. It's a lifelong journey of discipleship, and so often we want it to, to be, we want to be transformed and be, you know, the ultimate disciple right now. You know, mm-hmm. what, what happened? I took five minutes reading the Bible, and I'm not perfect yet. Yeah, think about it. Life would be pretty boring if it happened like that. Right. right. I'm all done. Okay. <laughs> I like Dallas Willard has this statement. He says, God changes us as quickly as we can stand. And I think that's true. Uh, so, so putting in the time and being willing to say, this is going to be my number one priority of time. It's like that story of Mary and Martha where Jesus says, hey, you're worried and troubled about many things, Martha, really good things even. But Mary, who's sitting at my feet and listening, and listening to me, she actually has chosen the better thing. Not that your things were bad, but hers is better and it is actually the most abiding thing. It will not be taken from her. And then he says, few things are necessary only one is necessary, in fact. Mm-hmm. And so he reminds us that there really is a most important thing, and it's that pressing into Jesus, letting him make us more resilient. That's the most important thing we can be doing and put, 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 be putting our time into. The other thing I see in my own life when I think about what's keeping me from being resilient is the idea of self-sufficiency. We live in a culture where it's, you know, there's not really a lot of room to make a mistake, and if you do make a mistake, you better get yourself better, and then you can rejoin society when you fixed yourself. Mm-hmm. The idea is I have to be enough for me, for all my issues and questions and problems. I have to be able to pick myself up by my bootstraps. And Jesus invites us to another way where he says in John chapter 15, he says, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I often mm-hmm. live, apart from Jesus, I can do, well, I can probably do a few things. No, he says, <laughs> apart from me, you can do nothing. So you have to remain in me, attached to the vine, he says. I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in me. Are you telling me, Ben, that God helps those who help themselves is not a Bible verse? I'm telling you that God helps those from the, who help themselves is like an anti-Bible oh. verse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I understand the spirit behind that phrase, but it's just, it just gets misused. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also would say that... Uh, the, the idea of expectations of my life, uh, I think our American culture and the just the culture that I absorb on a daily basis has taught me to assume that the ultimate perfect existence, quality of life, whatever, could be attained in this world. Uh, whereas the scriptures are full of, hey, you want to know what to expect? You will have sufferings, persecutions, uh, tragedies, issues, troubles. However, you will have these things with joy. 
And so what we do is when we're distressed, we become even more distressed because we think I shouldn't be distressed. I shouldn't have issues, right? But my expectations shouldn't are, are kind of not in line with what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are telling me you will have trouble, but in the midst of it, if you persevere with the Lord, you will also have great sustaining indestructible joy. So kind of what's happening when I when I think about that is I misplace my satisfaction. I look at my life and the circumstances of my life for satisfaction, and when they're not up to snuff, I ask God to change them, right? I'm turning to God, Mm. but I'm saying, change my circumstances, because those are really the things that are going to make me feel better. Mm. When in reality, satisfaction comes from the Lord himself. That's why in Acts chapter 4, the believers don't pray for an end to persecution. They know that God's fighting the war on their behalf, and that God's got it under control, and God's doing what he needs to do. What they pray for is boldness, and uh, the ability to have joy and resilience to endure even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So my expectations often lead me to think that I just got to get my circumstances all figured out, when in reality it's about I got to lean into the Lord and let Him satisfy me even when the world is pressing in against me. Yeah, that's really good, Ben. All of that, And that's probably in terms of personal day-to-day life. That's really the important things to think about. One other thing I was thinking about in terms of pulling back a bit to the overarching answer to the question of, you know, how do we make sure resilience, uh, we continue on the path of resilience as we come out of this, as this thing passes, as as uh, these days pass, uh, this moment uh, and the crises that we're in, um, and they will pass. Uh, but it's important not to forget what we've learned to practice in these days, uh, the lessons that God has caught, taught us and the things he's taught us to care about, and the people he's taught us to care about. And uh, to love one another, uh, to the, the, the one another that he's given us during these days. For example, uh, we want to make sure that we learn uh, that we can love one another even as we're suffering together. Uh, and, you know, that word suffer has a lot of different meanings. And we, we can say, well, we're not suffering as bad as so-and-so. Of course not. There's always somebody you're suffering you can find somebody who's suffering less. You can find somebody who's suffering more. That's not what it's about. It's about what is God doing in our lives through it, because he's always got a higher purpose for it. And so he wants to make sure that good comes out of it and that resilience comes out of it. And so it's important for us to remember those things that he's taught us in the midst of this. Another thing to remember is that uh, one of the things that um, modern-day Christians have a hard time uh, doing, because it's so antithetical to our culture and our time, and it's more complex than we like. We like simple, quick answers and move on. We like, you know, to put down our credit card and move on. We like to get fast food and move on. So we like fast answers and quick, you know, pithy little answers. I'll plug that into my life and away I go. And life's just not that way. And life with Jesus isn't that way. So part of following Jesus is trusting in the strength of the Lord when you don't have the complete answer or when you're trying to hold two truths to, together that our culture uh, says that, th- that, that you can't, that they're intention. And they may be intention in the culture especially and in our world especially. But one of the things that we're seeing right now is that people say, well, no, the, both those can't be true. You have to come to my side or you have to go to that side. You're either on this side or that side, the good mm. side or the dark side. And that's just not the way the Christian way works. And, and please understand me. I'm not talking about the commands of God. I'm not talking about uh, the difference between um, 
good and evil. I'm talking about the important things in the midst of the struggles that we see before us. Let me give you a couple examples. One would be to say these two truths. The first two tr first truth is the virus is bad, it's contagious, and so it's appropriate for uh, 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 earthly authorities to take dramatic measures. So that's one statement. But it's also true to say that we live in a fallen world where no one is perfect, and so therefore leaders have never our leaders have never been to this place before. So it's not surprising that they're making mistake and overreaching, and uh, causing more harm than good sometimes. Both of those statements can be true at the same time, uh, and and Christians need to be understanding that we can hold the we we can, we can walk with Jesus together, and and love our fellow uh, human beings. Uh, by recognizing that, you know, we don't need to throw anybody under the bus. We need to recognize we can hold both those things to be true. And of course, uh, in terms of the the uh, protests and riots and so forth, um, I, I differentiate those two. Uh, there, there is legitimate protest. There's legitimate pain in marginalized people of color. Uh, but you can make these two statements too. We must be on the forefront of listening to and taking action in our hearts and in our lives to love marginalized people in our country and our community, especially people of color. Because what we're learning is is that we haven't paid attention, and that uh, there are uh, you know they're, they're being marginalized in ways we didn't know and didn't think of. Um, and we won't get into those details, but that that's one statement. Another statement would be to say, yes, police brutality and all brutality that we're seeing right now must be stopped. It must be addressed. And we must pray and care for those uh, who experience it. But we also are praying for those who are ha being painted with a broad brush and are being cursed, a la uh, all of the good police officers. Uh, the, many of the people in my church are police officers uh, and, and sound believers and, and who want the righteousness of God in their work and in this world, too. Um, both of those statements can be true also. So um, what, what we're really saying here is spirit-filled, active living around those matters uh, going forward will help us be like those early Christians who also faced plagues, but the way they did caused the resilient way of Jesus, the third way to launch out into the first and the second and third centuries, all the way down to us, which is exactly how we started out this podcast. And I experienced some of that yesterday. Um, I was on a podcast or in a, a zoom call where there was a panel of two uh, uh, white pastors in our city and then uh, seven American African-American leaders who were discussing the issues and, and, and trying to explain to those of us who are on the white side of things uh, what they're experiencing and, and I got to I'm just gonna make one statement about it it was so refreshing because honestly I went into it thinking well I, I've got this stuff going on today I really don't have time but I'll, I'll listen in and I'll cut out at a certain point but I could not stop I couldn't push the the stop button because there was a lot in there that I didn't like hearing uh, because I thought you know what that's true uh, about me. Uh, but at the same time, there was such a sense of, uh, grace and togetherness, um, in terms of we are the church and we need to take mm -hmm. this seriously, that it was just compelling. And, um, that, that I think is what we're trying to say in terms of holding two truths together. That the world say can't both be true at the same time when we know they can. Yeah. Isn't it, wouldn't you say, uh, the, the world, 
<laughs> this is so interesting because uh, Christians used to be really, truthfully, uh, pretty considered to be the, the dogmatic ones, the yeah. ones who are black and white, and the world is saying, "No, there's all this gray, and there's all this, right. there's all this room case by case." And mm-hmm. now it really seems like the tables have turned, and mm-hmm. so much of what our culture is saying has become so dogmatic: you're yeah. this or you're that. Both can't be true. But in the body of Christ, with such diversity and such uh, differences of backgrounds and opinions, we actually were called to not engage in this sort of dogmatic who's in and who's out kind of argument. We're, we're really called to uh, listen and learn from each other uh, when we have different experiences and to understand that more than one thing can be true at a time hmm. rather than letting those things really tear us apart. You know, I... I've seen it. People in my generation who leave the church or leave the faith because of one issue, and they say that mm-hmm. can't be true if what I think is also true. So I'm just going to cut ties altogether, mm-hmm. rather than staying and saying, you know, what I am experiencing and thinking is valid and true, but there's also something going on uh, in, that somebody else is trying to say that also might be true, and we have to figure out a way to live the third way of Jesus. Uh, together as a family. And that's where the the magic really happens, is when believers who might not even see eye to eye on these issues can come together and still be filled with the Spirit and still serve and love Jesus together. Yeah. You know, most of the... I was thinking about that, too. Most of what you say, most of the history of Christianity, believers have not had the luxury of leaving when they were yeah struggling, so... Well, we got one more question, Ben. Uh, let's go into it. In fact, this is mine. I put this yeah, in This here. is your I, question? I emailed myself. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, let's just dive in. I was thinking the other day about this. Someone might want to ask the question, but you're too nice. I don't know. I'm just, I don't have no idea. Uh, but here would be the question. In the midst of these uh, times of these days and as you know, all the struggle that we've had, why do you guys have such levity? In the uh, these days podcast, yeah, the answer is because we're both over caffeinated. <laughs> yeah, twelve cups a day. But oh my god, yeah. Hey, my grandma, man, she drank twelve cups a day, and she lived to almost a hundred. So anyway, that's that's a lot of coffee. Yeah, I'm not sure that's why, but um, subtitle uh, of this podcast has been the resilient way of Jesus. And there has to be some joy in the resilient way. We're not wanting to be resilient in, you know, the dog days of this life. I mean, we want to be in the resilient way of Jesus. And if you look at him, even he had some some humor in his illustrations and so forth. And he had definitely had the joy of the Lord. And in, in no way do we want to be flippant or, you know, write off real concerns. But the whole point uh, of this uh podcast is to be resilient theology for the people bring hope to folks um, and ultimately to return uh, the return of the joy uh, of all people when it, it always comes back to Jesus yeah so, I, I mean I, I would if I'm gonna take the serious side of this question yeah. <laughs> I, would say, I would say uh, we're in a, we have a crisis of joy in our world yes we do <laughs> <laughs> in our world and in our churches, uh, we have a crisis of joy because, uh, you know, we look at the circumstances and we think, how could we possibly have joy until things get better? Uh, but truly, uh, we, we uh, are called to have joy even in the most difficult circumstances. I think of the book of Philippians, the letter of joy, it's called, right? Yeah. And Paul writes it in prison, like a, d- a dark, 
dungeon, yeah. Roman prison. Yeah. And he had he had to have fun writing that, man, because there's so much joy and levity just in that. And, and God's story and Christian history shows, and we really believe in the, the reality that as hard and scary as these times are, they're just times. And this moment is just a moment, and Jesus is present, and it is not too much for him to get us through. Uh, a great verse in Nehemiah, if you've ever read Nehemiah, they had some tough, scary times too, where they had a lot of enemies, a lot of people trying to, you know, rip things down and people that pretended to be their friends that weren't their friends and all kinds of crazy stuff. Then they found uh, the Torah, the the uh, the first five books of the Bible, and they started to read them and they were just so overwhelmed by them that they began to weep and cry. And Nehemiah stands up and he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. I like that choice food. Choice food. Yeah, it means fat. Eat the fat. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and that's what we really want to communicate here. So Yeah. Uh, that's that's great. So we'll leave it with that for today. Thank you so much to those of you who have sent us emails, stories, uh, questions, and uh, we love hearing from you guys about um, what your thoughts are, what your reactions are to the podcast uh, every week to week. And you can always email us at uh, the email address... Well, what is it again? These days? These days at eastridgechurch.org. These days at eastridgechurch.org. You can always email and just let us know, uh, I had this thought, or this thing you said reminded me of this, or here's how God has been making me more resilient. We love to hear that kind of stuff, and we would love to share it on future podcasts. Takeaways for this week. Do we have any takeaways? Uh, yeah. Well, it, this kind of melds into books and stuff. Books and stuff? Okay. Yeah, because there's a prayer that we want to call out. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was happens to be written by a guy named Ben. Oh, interesting. I wonder yeah. who that could it's be. It's really, really a good <laughs> prayer. I, I've, I've really appreciated it. And in fact, it's been posted on the eastridgechurch.org website, or it will be shortly. And encourage you to get a hold of that in these days. In the next couple of weeks, while, you know, we're... Uh, uh, kind of not hearing each other uh, for a while. I encourage you to pray that prayer because these days we know we need reconciliation. Part of reconciliation is admitting to God who we are and asking Him to work in us. But this prayer really kind of leads us through those stages, and I just encourage you to do that. It is really good. The other thing I'd reference in terms of books and stuff uh, is that book that uh, Ben read from before called Demons by Michael S. Heiser. Uh, if you're into that, so it's fairly academic book. Uh, but if you want to know about uh, what the scripture says about that, um, kind of do a Bible study through it. Uh, it's a pretty good book. And I'll just bring us full circle with a book we mentioned the very first week, The Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. There's an amazing day-by-day version called The uh, Renovation of the Heart in Daily Practice, and it sort of makes it into a devotional thing. And uh, I really recommend that book uh, as far as understanding and starting to practice the way of uh, being a disciple to Jesus and letting him shape you from the inside. Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah. Well, uh, that's our double wrap, Ben, because look at the time. Oh, yeah. so, wow. Anyway, what a, yeah, that's hope, a long yeah, podcast. We wanted to give it all to you folks. Uh, <laughs> God bless you, and uh, be safe, and uh, stick close to Jesus. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with the start of season two and an ordinary length podcast. <laughs> <laughs>